thank you for this great day. We love you and adore you. We thank you for delicious food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. Bless our fellowship. Thank you for the sweet fellowship we've already enjoyed around the tables. Now speak to us from Genesis. We ask that uh, when we leave today, we'll be saying together, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, as we look at verse uh, chapter 27, verse 41, I'm just going to read that one verse, talk about it for a minute, and then we'll move on. So, 2741, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. All right, we'll stop there for a minute. As soon as, as Isaac finishes blessing Jacob, a murderous hatred arises in Esau's heart. He is planning to kill Jacob. And I think if you've been with us and been reading these chapters, I, I don't think there's any question but that Esau meant it. And he fully intended to carry out uh, the murder. He is planning to kill Jacob, but he'll wait until his father Isaac's passing out of respect for his father. Esau, however, cannot keep the plan to himself. And the ever-present Rebecca hears of his intent, and she has no doubt that he means to carry out the plan. After all, she's his mother, and she knows him well. So let's move to verse 41, or rather 42 of chapter 27, and let's see what happens. Um, we're going to go through verse 9 of chapter 28. All right, verse 42. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said... She sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send the word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. This is uh, uh, As the World Turns, or <laughs> one of those programs. So Isaac called, not that I'd watch that, I just, I just know because that thing's been on so long. My mother used to watch that. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of your brother's, your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife from there for yourself, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. 
Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married. So he went to Ishmael, there he is again, and married Mahalath, the sister of Nabioth and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. There's a little polygamy going on here. All right, so let's, uh, let's think about these verses for a few minutes. I've, I've entitled this section, Frightened and Exasperated Rebecca. Rebecca takes charge. Uh, I don't think this was unfamiliar territory to her in taking charge. I think Rebecca was a very strong woman. She takes charge and commands Jacob to flee to her brother Laban until Esau cools off. Now, her words until Esau forgets, uh, I think, is wishful thinking. I don't think Esau is going to forget. But cool off? Yes. That's a reasonable expectation. So she is hoping that Esau will cool off. Now, Rebecca needs to get Isaac to agree without telling him everything she knows. So she, she does a very good job. Notice what she does. I mean, she can't just, this is a patriarchal society, so she just can't send Jacob off. Esau's got to be supportive of this. So she goes to Esau and blames and blames everything on, I mean, she goes to uh, Isaac and blames everything on Esau's wives. So what did I say a minute ago? Esau had to agree to this. Isaac has to agree to this. So Rebecca goes to Isaac, blames everything on Esau's wives, how unhappy she is. And she says, I'm worried that Jacob may marry a Hittite woman. Then we've got more of these daughters-in-law running around here. And so Isaac concurs. I found it interesting. Um, let me see. Let me find the wording again. Um, so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Uh, it, was, it was like... Oh, I'm trying to find it here. Where Isaac is like he just now realizes how much Rebecca doesn't like her daughters-in-law. Um, I can't, I can't find it again. Maybe I dreamed it. But Isaac concurs. He concurs with the request of Rebecca. And maybe the saying is true: when Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And she's not happy. And so Isaac wants to rectify that. And so Isaac thinks he's the, the originator of the idea uh, to send Jacob off to Mesopotamia for a wife. And so he tells Jacob to do that. And I guess it makes a man feel good to think he thought of something. So, um, you know, Isaac, Isaac believes he thought of this. So he commands Jacob not to marry a Canaanite. Take the long trip to Padnaram and marry a cousin. So he called for Jacob, blessed him in the third verse of the 28th chapter. And notice he uses the term God Almighty. El Shaddai is the Hebrew term. You've heard that. El Shaddai, God Almighty. It's the same term that's used in chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. 
I am El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And that was when uh, God instituted the covenant of circumcision with Abraham. So this blessing is Isaac's final recognition of Jacob as the next patriarch. All his hopes of elevating Esau to be the, the recipient of the blessing are gone. Uh, Isaac now realizes that's not going to happen. God has said it. I agree. I concur. Uh, Jacob is the child of promise. And, and so there's no more hopes that Esau will fill that position. So Esau sees all of this happen, hears of the blessing on Jacob, and hears about Isaac's desire that Jacob not marry a Canaanite woman. And so in one more, yet one more misguided effort to please his father, uh, Esau finds another wife who is not a Canaanite. But sadly, he picks an Ishmaelite. And that's not, not a good move. An Ishmaelite, a daughter of Abraham's cast out son, Ishmael. That's not the way to get the blessing. So neither Esau or Jacob acted very well throughout all that we've read. We noticed that last week. Yet Esau was faithless. Hebrews reveals that to us. Esau was faithless, almost clueless. And Jacob, though a deceiver, like his name implies, was a believer in God's word and treasured the promise and knew that he was to be the recipient of the promise. Jacob's issue that we read about last week is he thought God needed his help to bring off what God had said he was going to do. Um, so as a result, the next 20 years are going to be pretty hard for Jacob. Now, we have no biblical evidence that, evidence that Rebecca sees her, her favorite son again. I think it's obvious when Isaac is talking to Jacob and giving his blessing to him, Isaac knows this is it. I won't see my son again. This is, this is goodbye uh, forever. And so for the next 20 years, uh, Jacob will, will dwell elsewhere and not be reunited with his mom or, or his dad. Now, he's on his way to Padnaram, and we come to that dream that Jacob has and, and where we got the term climbing Jacob's ladder. We mentioned the song last week that maybe you used to sing when you were growing up. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, a very simple song and a beautiful, beautiful melody, just beautiful. But um, I'm not going to sing it. Happy birthday was enough for today. But what I do want to do is read verses 10 through 22 of chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night before the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Now, Jacob left in a hurry because he couldn't be certain but that Esau was, was going to kill him right then. Because when Rebekah talks to him, she doesn't say, Esau's not going to kill you until your father dies. She just says, he's going to kill you and you need to hit the road. So, uh, Isaac, uh, Jacob leaves in a hurry. And I've, I've always found it a little poignant um, that he didn't have anything to lay his head on except a rock. So evidently he didn't take anything with him that could have provided, I know they didn't have pillows like we have pillows 
today, but they did have robes or things like that they could roll up and put underneath their underneath their heads. He, he didn't have anything except a rock. Now, I don't know how well you were able to sleep with a rock for a pillow, but for me, that won't work too well. I, I, I don't do well with that. So, taking one of the stones, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land of which you are lying. Now, how many times have we read this promise? First to Abraham, then to Isaac, and now to Jacob. When God says something one time, that's enough. I mean, that's absolutely ought to be enough for us. But he says this over and over and over again. So he is saying now to Jacob, this land is yours. I'm going to give it to you, make a great people of you. The same thing I told your father and the same thing I told your grandfather. So verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, that is, in, in number. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And the ultimate fulfillment of that is in Jesus. Verse 15, I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it as a pillar and poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel, or meaning house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me, now watch this wording carefully. He made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Uh, we'll elaborate on this in a minute, but I find it utterly fascinating and a bit disconcerting based on what he just experienced, based on what God said to him in the dream, that Jacob makes a vow beginning with the word if. That's interesting. All right, back to that momentarily. So let's talk about Jacob's dream. Jacob left in a hurry. He must have been hard, it must have been hard to know that your brother intends to kill you. And his misery is self-inflicted. Jacob's is. God had promised Jacob, uh, he had promised that he was going to be the child of blessing. Jacob had stolen what God had promised. 
and, he, and he's experiencing pain, he's alone, he's exhausted, and he goes to sleep with a rock for his pillow. I find that a bit sad and yet perplexing at the same time how this has unfolded. So Jacob dreams of a ladder extending from earth to heaven, angels going up and down. God is the central focus. Yahweh speaks in verses 13 and 14, and he speaks uh, these words. I'm going to read them again. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. The intent of God's words is to encourage the sleeping Jacob, who perhaps fell asleep with one eye open, if you understand what I mean by that. Wondering, is Esau hot on my trail? Do I need to sleep with one eye open? Am I safe? Am I secure? But he was so exhausted that he went to sleep even with a, a stone for his pillow. The unconditional, personal, and national promise of God to Abraham is now made to Jacob. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That becomes a divine title. You'll hear it again in Scripture. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says to Jacob, I will never leave you. Somebody said that to us. Who was it? Jesus said that to us. We are seeing God's grace. Now, based on what you know about Jacob, would you say that he deserves every good thing God can give him? No. Uh, probably not. But then let's bring it home. Oh, we don't want to go there, do we? Do I deserve what God has done and is doing for me? No. This is God's grace. Jacob, the heel grabber, the outcast, potential murder victim, is met by God who declares his best for Jacob. Grace is unleashed upon his soul. It reminds me of um, amazing grace through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me, say the last word, Jacob responds in the verses that we read with amazement and a degree of fear, surprise, I'm a fleeing sinner and God is here with me in this place. And verse 17 expresses his fear and awe. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Those words are strong words. Jacob is amazed at what he has seen in his dream and the experience of God in this place. So he worships God and renames the place Bethel or house of God. 
And he makes a vow. His words, house of God, and his anointing of the stone pillow are pretty awesome. But the vow, vintage Jacob. I don't know how else to say it. God has just said what he said, and Jacob then says, as a vow, if, if God will, basically, if God will keep his word, then I'll make him my God. If God, then I. We need to weigh those words carefully, lest we be tempted to ever say them. If God, then I. Be careful about that combination of words. So, um, John chapter 1, let me read John chapter 1. I think these are listed on the side of your paper. John chapter 1, verse 50 and 51. Jesus said to Nathaniel, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's a picture of what Jacob's of Jacob's dream, expressing the presence of God in the flesh in Jesus. Jacob experienced the presence of God in his dream, and that's one thing God is saying to him in the dream. I am with you. I am here. Do not be afraid. I'm not going to let your brother kill you. Now, he didn't say those words, but he said, I'm going to be with you. I'll watch over you. Don't be afraid. Here in John, the focus is on Jesus. There in Genesis, the focus is on Jacob. Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Let me read those verses. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That son of man in Daniel is Jesus, our focus today. And in Genesis, God said, I will be with you. Jacob. Now, um, we know today it is no longer Bethel where God reveals himself, but it's Jesus who reveals himself to us uh, through his word. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 verse 22 says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So in the presence of God, no temple, but the presence of Jesus himself with us. Now, we all we're all Jacobs in some way. And yet God loves us and he finds us and he woos us and he calls us and he ministers to us and he pours his grace out upon us. And so here's Jacob worshiping at Bethel and yet saying a vow that perplexes us, if God, then I. But he does say... 
I will set up as a pillar. I will that I will this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. He promises the tithe to the Lord. Well, we're going to continue on, and we're going to get started in chapter 29, because in chapter 29, the deceiver is going to be deceived, coming back to him. So let's look at the first eight verses of chapter 29. Uh, Jacob, Jacob may be running for his life, but he was exhilarated by the dream, the latter experience, and the promise of God's presence and blessing. So here we go with verse 1 of chapter 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well and the stone over the mouth of the well was large. Now, think about it. Did he know the story of how his father got his bride that turned out to be his mother? Of course he knew the story. So as he goes to the same land where his father's servant had gone to find him a wife that turned out to be Rebecca, then no doubt Jacob is thinking, I'm coming up here to get a wife. My dad got his wife from the well. Makes sense, I'm going to the well. So Jacob goes to the well. Verse 3, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they answered. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Well, what a coincidence. <laughs> Except there are no coincidences. God's in control. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. Okay, now Jacob... He's going, to do, he's going to take charge here in a minute. He's kind of like his mama, Rebecca. He's going to take charge here in a minute. But first he arrives in Haran. He remembers how God blessed his father Isaac by what happened at the well as Eliezer found Rebecca and brought her back to Isaac. So he goes to the well. He meets other shepherds there who are resting but not yet watering their sheep. It seems that they wait for all the sheep to arrive and all the flocks to arrive, and then they roll the stone away from the, from the well. Just something reading into that just almost sounds a little bit like a verge on laziness to me. They're just kind of lounging around there sleeping. And uh, I don't know, maybe they were waiting for Rachel to come and move the stone. I, I don't know, but they're, they're not doing anything. So uh, Jacob kind of questions that. And then Rachel arrives, he sees her coming, and look what happens in verse 9. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came, and her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd, when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Now, I don't know how big that stone was, but it says in the text it's big. Remember a couple of verses? It's big. 
So I'm thinking Jacob did what it usually took two or three men to do. I mean, he just manhandled the stone, rolled it away, and waters his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Now, um, the name Rachel means ewe lamb, ewe lamb. Don't see this for what it isn't yet. I don't think we need to see this as love at first sight, nor that the kiss was on the lips. Uh, it would not have been. It would have been a kiss on the cheeks and a rejoicing because he is in the presence of family. Did he know that this is going to be his wife? I don't want to. I don't want to say the answer to that yet. He doesn't yet know Rachel. But certainly what is clear is Jacob is excited that he is in the presence of his family. And there is a security with that also. Jacob single-handedly removes the stone from the well and he waters Rachel's flock ahead of the other shepherds. I like that. You know, hey guys, you're messing around here laying around. I'm taking charge. We're going to water her sheep first. Then you come do your thing. So Jacob kisses Rachel, not a kiss of passion yet. Just a kiss of joy at the circumstances. And Rachel, immediately finding out who he is, goes home. And her father Laban comes back. Well, let's read that. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. So Rachel goes home. Her father comes back to welcome Jacob. And the last time, just think about this, the last time Abraham's family representative, Eliezer, the the, the servant, last time this event happened, Eliezer left Laban lots of bling. You remember? Lots of jewelry, lots of stuff. So I'm thinking Laban had more than one reason for hurrying out to the well because he remembered what happened on the last visit. Maybe he's hoping for a repeat, but it's not going to happen this time. Remember, Jacob just left running for his life. He didn't have anything to give Laban. So um, Laban realizes that Jacob is at his mercy. It doesn't take him long to figure that out. So Laban will exploit the situation and Jacob will learn a lot over the next 14 years. You you know the story, you know what's going to happen, don't you? He works seven years for Rachel, ends up with Leah, works seven more years for Rachel, and then when he does go back home, he'll go back with two wives two servants of the two women's servants and well I don't want to get ahead of myself so next week we'll start with verse 15 Leah Rachel and Laban an astonishing amazing story of love God's grace God's plan God's purpose We'll see how God works through all of this for his name's honor and glory. So come back next week. We'll start with verse 15. Father, thank you for our time together. Bless us as we go from this place. Keep us safe in the palm of your hand. 
I pray that we'll be faithful, that we'll remember that every promise that you have made to us in your word is sacred and it will become reality in our lives. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.